You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Last week I was talking to Kevin and I just asked him, I was trying to get a sense, a little bit of a, a pulse on kind of where things are with you guys and I don't know, just what he's been seeing. We were talking and then he just said something that was actually pretty helpful. It kind of freaked me out a little bit as well, but he just said, you just talk to them about what you would share with a 20-year-old Jason. I was like, all right. I started thinking about 20-year-old Jason and I realized a couple of things. Number one, like you, I was at a Christian university and like you, I had mandatory chapels and the only reason I would be in one on a Friday is because I ran out of skips. So that kind of freaked me out. Don't nod your head. Some of you just nodded your head. That is not the moment to nod your head. But then I started thinking a little bit bit more about it. Here's what I also know. What I also know is there's a weight that I was carrying at that season in my life that I didn't even know what to do with. A weight that I was carrying because there had been some things at that moment that had really hit the fan in my life. You ever had it hit the fan? You know what it is. Don't pretend you don't. It is the things that you don't really feel prepared for and you didn't ask for. That's what it is. You ever had it hit the fan in your life? You didn't ask for it and you don't feel prepared for it? It's your car breaking down and you don't really know if you've got much more money in your, and you got to choose now between food and the car. And you know that choice is easy for us guys at least, getting the food. We'll drive the beater around, right? It is the moment that you keep getting behind in class and you feel like you can't keep up. It's the moment where you feel like there's a friendship that's falling apart and you really don't know why. You didn't ask for it. You don't really feel prepared for it. But I also recognize that for some of us, the it runs a little bit deeper. It's the parent's divorce. You didn't ask for it. And you don't feel prepared for it. It's the hidden addiction. It's the breakup that you never saw coming. It's the loss. It's the sickness. It's loneliness. And some of us are here today and we're carrying a big old load of it. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, same high school, that's how Kevin and I met actually. Dr. Brown and I met, and my freshman year at DuPont Manual High School in Louisville, Kentucky, I had an English teacher named Mrs. Hand, and I remember this one moment that I went up to her, and I'm pretty confident I probably had just not studied. I'm, I'm actually, I'm very confident about that. And so I was in this moment where I had a test or something like that, and I needed to know why I did so badly on this test. But I had this small, tiny little fraction of a thought that just went through my head. It's like, why don't you just open up to her a little bit and let her know a little bit about you? And so I said something. I was like, okay, I'll take a risk and I'll be a little bit vulnerable. So I said, I've, I'm really stressed right now. There it is. What are you going to do with it? You know what Mrs. Hand said? Actually, she didn't say anything. You know what sound Mrs. Hand said with her, with her mouth? This. You ever been on? She pshed me. And then she says this, quote, I will never forget it because I felt stupid. She said, you are too young to even know what stress is. Now, that's a dumb thing to say to a 15-year-old. But it's in particular, it's even more dumb to say that to a 15-year-old who was in the position that I was in at that moment because, and of course, she couldn't have known this But it's a really dumb thing because she couldn't conceive at that moment that just one year before that, it had all spilled out into the open that for the previous five years from the age of nine to 14, um, I had been a victim of sexual abuse from a man at the church that my dad was pastoring. But I don't know stress. No, it hit the fan. And like many of you who've had it hit the fan in your life in small ways, in big ways, I was spending so much of my time and energy trying to run and numb from the pain that I've been handed. Look, I doubt any of you would raise your hand and go, man, I love pain. Anybody would just say, I love pain, because we're going to get you to switch majors. We'll put you in psychology and counseling, all right? (laughs) 
No one's sitting there saying, I love pain. Like, I get it. I understand that. In fact, there's entire industries, you know this, right? Like built around helping us to run and numb our pain. We spend $22 billion a year for on over-the-counter pain meds in our country. However, I, I want to challenge this idea for a second. I want to challenge the idea that we hate pain. I'm not sure any of us love it, but I also don't know if we really hate it. Here, here's why I would say that. In fact, I would actually suggest that we don't really mind pain if, and this is a big if, if we believe that it's leading us somewhere good. I know some people, guys, this is crazy. Listen to this. I know some people who pay money to run marathons, cold, hard cash to run marathons, not one mile, not two miles, not 10 miles, not 15 miles, 26.2 miles. They pay money. I get tired after I drive 26 miles. I'm not running it. But why do they do that? You know why? Because they know that there's something on the other side of it. There's a reward. They know that there's something waiting for them, right? They put up with the pain. I was in the delivery room for all three of our children's births. I already mentioned my daughter, Sienna. She's the oldest. 18 years ago, I remember there. That was hours and hours and hours and hours of labor. And then I remember my second, Silas, coming, and it was minutes of labor. And then my third, Solomon, was just like, okay, Jenny, on, on three, one, two, th oh, he's out, all right? I mean, he just happened at that point. But you know, as different as their deliveries were, every single one of them, they all had something in common. I saw the pain that Jenny went through on every single one of them. And at the same exact time, every single time, as soon as she was holding those little babies in her arms, all that pain was a distant memory. The truth is that we have an enormous capacity, and I need you to know this, and I want you to know this. We have an enormous capacity for pain if we can get a greater vision for how that pain can be used for good. And I want to give you a vision today for those who need it because you're carrying it in here with you because you've walked through it. I just want to give you a vision today for whatever it you've walked through, whatever pain you've been handed in life, big or small, it doesn't matter, and how God breathes purpose into it. I think this is exactly what Paul was getting at in the letter that he wrote to followers of Jesus living in the city of Corinth in the first century when he said this. This is how he starts his letter. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Now, Paul's describing an event, you can go read about it in Acts chapter 19 if you want to. He's describing an event that happened in Ephesus where essentially an entire city formed a mob against him. You ever seen news clips in other countries where the narrow city streets are filled with mobs of people and they're burning effigies and they're chanting things and they're, they're all marching to a particular place? That, now imagine that's happening and they're all coming for you. Because that's what happened in Ephesus, and that's what Paul's describing here. Imagine what kind of anxiety that would induce. Imagine what kind of feelings that would evoke out of you. And not only that, but Paul had already been beaten for his faith and imprisoned for his faith and threatened again and again. Just think about the language that he uses here. I love this language. I've pulled out a few words here. Crushed, overwhelmed, beyond our ability to endure, expected to die. Welcome to church, everybody. No, he's like, I mean, that, that's real. In fact, some scholars actually think that when it says expected to die, that can also be kind of the idea behind it is he wanted to die. He didn't want to live anymore. You know, this is one of the things I love about the Bible, by the way. It's not all cleaned up with a bow on top, man. It is gritty and it is raw and it is vulnerable and it is real. If this were made up, if this were propaganda, you do not have one of the leaders of the movement that you're trying to get propaganda for to say this kind of stuff. And it's just a reminder to me that the church should always be the safest place people to find hope and support and love when they feel crushed and overwhelmed. 
place where they can come even if they're struggling at times with depression and doubts and whether life's even worth it. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. But let's just be real honest. That's also the kind of community I need. Me. Maybe you can relate because the truth is that those words right there are reality for Paul and what he felt when it all hit the fan for him and the pain he'd been handed and he was fiercely committed to Jesus, then I think we can safely assume at some point those words will hit us too. And then Paul uses four words that are an absolute game changer and how we see the moments that it hits the fan in our life and the pain we're given. This is what he says next. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and we learn to rely only on God who raises the dead and he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again and we have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Man, that statement right there, those first four words is A, a word, by the way. Where's my English majors? I don't know, but I'm gonna say four words. But as a result, what a perspective shift. It's like he's saying, yes, it hit the fan. And yes, it was painful. And no, I did not ask for it. And I wasn't prepared for it. And no, I wouldn't have chosen to go through it, but I wouldn't change it now. Wouldn't change it now. Because as a result, I've discovered something about God that could not be discovered any other way. And I know that for so many of you here today, you could tell your own but as a result stories. When it hit the fan in your life, but as a result, it led to something good. But as a result, some of you, this is your story. But as a result, I stopped taking my parents for granted because of we went, what we went through. But as a result, some of you, you can tell the story. I'm more compassionate today. I wouldn't choose it all over again, but I wouldn't change it. Because as a result, God grew generosity in me. Because as a result, God led me to new priorities. As a result, I discovered that God could be trusted. That's some of your stories here. And I just want you to consider for a second what Paul is doing here. He's sharing his when it hit the fan moment, and he's simply telling them how God used it in a unique way to grow his faith and expand his trust. But see, here's the real question. Here's the real question. Why? Why would he do this? Why would he go through the links? Why would he be so vulnerable? Why would he be out there to these people he's trying to lead and say, you want to talk about crushed, been there. You're talking about overwhelmed? I didn't even want to live. Why would he do that? Well, he actually tells us. He tells us why he does it, and the reason that he gives for why He's sharing so openly about when it hit the fan for him. Guys, it's transformational. It's transformational if we'll follow his lead on this. Because this is how he starts the letter. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. Paul's like, man, the reason I want to share with you my story, the reason I'm willing to be so open with you, the reason why I'm willing to be so vulnerable with you, because I want you to experience the same comfort I've experienced. I want to come alongside you, and if God can use my it that I've walked through, if God can use my pain, if God can use my story of it hitting the fan to comfort you, then I want it to be used. See, this is the key idea. He comforts, God comforts, so that we can comfort others. It would be impossible, guys, to overstate how powerful this idea is in describing how our pain gets transformed and given purpose. Our pain begins to take on new purpose when we allow it to drive us towards others, not away from them, towards others who've had to hit the fan from them as well so that we can comfort them. See, the only wasted pain, you need to hear this, the only wasted pain in life is the pain that's not shared. Pain that isn't used to bring comfort to others. And I know comfort sounds soft. I don't know what you think of. Because I don't think about myself as a comforting person. I, I don't think my wife, Jenny, she definitely would not describe me as that. In fact, we, this is kind of funny. We do this weird thing. It's kind of weird. I think it's weird. Kind of morbid. Anyways, trigger warning on this too, maybe, I guess. We talk about what we want on our tombstones with each other. I'm not joking. She says, Jace, I'm, I already know what I want on my tombstone. Here it is. Ready? See, I told you I was sick. It's what she wants in her tombstone because she knows I'm not 
like I might miss it, right? Like I'm not the most comforting person. Like you don't see that on many tombstones. Here lies a true comforter, right? The word translated as comfort here, it was actually a word carried behind it carried the idea of strengthening someone else. You hear me? Strengthening someone else. Supporting someone else. It's not sappy. It's not sympathy. It's like, dear, dear, let me comfort you. It's not that. I think the idea behind the word actually is best captured in the Latin word for comfort, which is fortis, which means brave. Now think about this for a second. You comfort someone when you come alongside them and you let them borrow a little bit of your bravery in the moment because you've been there. You felt crushed at times. You felt overwhelmed at times. You've had to hit the fan and you just want them to know, look, man, I've been there. I've been knocked down. I've been weighed down. I felt crushed. But as a result, let me let you borrow some of my courage right now because I've been there. That's comfort. You come alongside someone, you speak life into them, remind them that God is still with them and God will not abandon them. And see, God surrounds us with people who've had to hit the fan in their life so that we can comfort them. And I'm not sure that there's anything quite as powerful, a clearer way of doing that than when you share your own story about when it hit the fan and what you discovered. Asbury, I need to tell you this, man. I, I felt so burdened to tell you this. You know, there's a world out there waiting for you right now, waiting for you, a broken world waiting for you for your creativity and your gifts and your strengths. It is in you. You have been created on purpose and for purpose. You have been given gifts uniquely that no one else has been given. Put at this unique moment in human history, God placed you here to move and advance the, his kingdom forward. And there is something in you that he has made to impact, bring impact into this world. That's the good news. But there's another sentence I should add to that. And this is really what I just came to tell you. Your greatest impact will likely flow out of your deepest pain. I wish that wasn't true, but it, is, it just is. Your greatest impact in life will more than likely flow out of your deepest pain. Isn't this the story of the cross? The greatest impact coming from the greatest pain, our healing, a result of his wounds, our freedom, a result of his sacrifice, our sins forgiven, a result of his blood spilled, which means to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. Jesus is to embrace that we will face our own pain, but God can and will transform and breathe purpose into it how as we offer it up to comfort others. Are you willing to do that? Because who better to comfort someone who's experienced loss than someone who's experienced loss and still found that God is good through it? Who better to comfort someone whose parents are divorcing after two decades of marriage than someone who's been down that road and discovered God never abandoned them? Who better to strengthen someone who's felt the sting of failure than someone who's failed and could come along and lend some of their courage and bravery in that moment? And who better to speak bravery into someone who's experienced pain than someone who's experienced pain? Is there anyone you know right now who comes to mind right now that's had to hit the fan recently in their life? Someone God's put in your life to comfort, to stand with them, to give them some of your courage and your bravery and to remind them that God is with them. And one more thing about this, you can't borrow someone's bravery if you're shut down. You can't be comforted and be strengthened if you never open up about what's hit the fan in your life. And some of you are here today and you're worn out. You're tired because it's hit the fan in your life and you've been carrying it alone and pride has kept you from sharing or maybe shame has kept you from sharing. You've been carrying it alone. And some of you, are, your shoulders, as strong as they are, as wide as they are, they are tired. In my early 20s, I came across this passage probably for the first time. And it grabbed a hold of me because it gave me a vision for my pain that I had been handed and what God could do with it. It gave me hope that my troubles and all the ways that it hit the fan in my life 
would not be wasted. God could use it. God could redeem it. God could transform it into something that comforted others. But the only way for that to happen would mean I was going to have to open up about it. And I just took that real seriously when it said that God comforts us so we can comfort others. And I decided with my life, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. With one person or a hundred people or a thousand people, I'm just going to try to do that. I shared with earlier that sexual abuse is a part of my story. And my heart breaks as we're sitting there worshiping. And I'm down here and I'm just looking at your faces and my heart breaks at the reality that some of you, too many of you can relate. And over the years as I've shared that and spoken about it and written about it, the amount of people who come up to me and said, I've never told anyone this, but me too. I had a man come up to me one time after a gathering on a weekend, a little old man. And he walked up to me and he goes, Jason, I'm 86 years old. And when I was five, and then he just nodded his head. And I knew what he was saying. And he said, but today, I know freedom's coming for me. And then he swept me up in his little frail arms and tried to pick me up off the ground and hug me. 81 years he carried that alone. 81 years. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I recognize that for most of you that it, you've walked through, it's not the same as mine. I get that. Some of you can relate. A lot of you can't. I, I understand, but you've got yours. You've got your stories. You've got the stories that you've got stories that can bring hope to others as well. It's the failure and how God saw you through it. It's the addiction and how God saw you through it. It's the betrayal. It's the disappointment. It's the loss. And I'm absolutely confident that you will have opportunities placed in front of you to comfort others who've had it hit the fan. And when you do, when you do, you will experience him bringing purpose to your pain, transforming it into something used for good. Because why? Because you made a decision like Paul did all those years ago like countless followers of Jesus have done since. The decision that you're not going to waste it. You're going to offer it for the healing of others. Don't waste it, guys. Don't waste it. The world's waiting on you right now to be a generation that comes behind and says, we are here to be real and to point to a God who can transform and save and heal. And so today, I actually just want to put this into practice. And Rachel and Claire, you, you can come on up. I, I, I want to ask you to stand. All of you, just, just stand. I want us to do something. I actually want us to put this into practice. I recognize that there's, there's two groups of people in this room right now related to this particular talk. Some of you are here right now and you have had it hit the fan in your life. You understand. And God saw you through it. And you didn't want it and you didn't ask for it. You didn't feel prepared for it, but God proved himself faithful. And you are here today, and you're on the other side, and you've been comforted. You were comforted in the midst of it all. You've discovered something about God, and you have a story to share. That's some of you. You have a story to share. And comfort to give. That's some of you. And I also recognize that there's some of you here, you're the other side of that. You're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of it, and it's hit the fan recently, and you came in today. You need some hope. You just need some hope. You need some encouragement. You need some bravery today because it's heavy on your shoulders. And so there's a song that we've sang a bunch at my church. My guess is you guys have sang it and you know it. Firm foundation. There's this little phrase right in the middle of it that just gets repeated a bunch. He won't fail. He won't fail. Can you sing that a couple times? Just, he won't fail.
some of you are here today and you've walked through it and you know that to be true right there. You know that. You've tasted it. You've seen it. You've experienced it. That's your story. He won't fail. And some of you are here today and you need to know that. Because it's hard to believe that right now. And the it that you're walking through is real deep. And I just want you to be comforted by these words. And so we're going to sing this. I'm going to ask all of you to sing it. If you've kind of already jumped in, if you're here today and you've experienced it, you won't fail. That's your story to, to tell. I want you to sing it for the people around you right now who that's hard to believe. I want you to sing it for them as if you were looking into their eyes, pleading with them not to give up. I want you to sing it as if it's your story because it is your story. And if you're in it right now, be sung over you. Just let the people around you comfort you right now by reminding you of what's most true. I want you to hear all the voices say, man, hold on, just hold on. You can get through this. Listen to the voices around you. So if you need to listen, just listen. And if you can sing it, sing it. Let's sing it a couple more times. grateful that you will not fail us. We're so grateful that the hurt and pain that we've been handed can be used and transformed and brought new purpose and life to it as we offer it up for the healing of others, as we offer it up to comfort others. We thank you that you will never fail us, and we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.